Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. So I'd love you to close your eyes and we're going to get right into this this morning. But I want to ask you this question before we start. Just with your eyes closed. Where is God for you? Is he at a distance, someone who keeps his distance and you keep your distance from him? Or is he somebody who is to your left and to your right? Where is God for you here this morning? I want to ask you one other question. Where would you prefer God to be this morning? Would you prefer God to be at a distance? Or would you prefer God to be with you? Now open your eyes. I want to say this to you. There's a scripture which comes out of Joshua. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy. It's mentioned in Hebrews. And the scripture goes simply like this. For I will never leave you, nor shall I ever forsake you. As much as we don't want God near us some days, like I prefer that he's at a distance, whether you know him or not, there are days, in our, even in a Christian's life, we'd prefer God stay at a distance I, because I've got some stuff to do. But there are other times in our life when need screams at us and we feel unable to manage it. We say, God, come to us. I just want to reassure you and tell you this. God has never, ever chosen to remove himself from you, irrespective of what you personally believe or have chosen. He gave his life to say, I have made a decision that I would never leave you nor forsake you. Close your eyes one more time. You need to just give God space sometimes. Not, he doesn't need much time. He just needs a little bit of space. And in that place, Father, I thank you. Irrespective of where we are personally, where we are personally challenged in our relationship with you here this morning, I pray and I thank you that you have said, and we do embrace hearing these words, I shall never leave you, nor shall I ever forsake you. I shall not be at a distance because I have made a decision to stand alongside you. And let every person in this place today, every need and challenge they personally may face, that, Lord, you align yourself alongside them. Let them sense your presence and also your heart and your love for them. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. That is not my message. That's just a thought for you this morning. This morning I want to talk to you about something which is, again, I like posing questions and I guess, you know, some of the most profound statements which are ever made in a person's life, it's not the day you're born. Sometimes we think the most profound statement is that we arrive and we notify everybody on our arrival that, hello, we're here with a wonderful sound which comes from our lips, basically giving life, which is that first scream of a child's first breath. Or it might be in some people's mind, well, the most profound day of my life is the day when I got married, when I found my husband, when I found my wife. In Paul and Melissa's, Melanie's life and state and position is that they have actually said that often. I love Mel shoes. I'm always caught by Mel shoes. Every time I'm there, she's doing a great job. Wow, what shoes you got on today? I love that. 
Paul's attention was caught by Mel's shoes. No, by the person that she was. She fell in love with the man that caught her attention. At that moment, at that ceremony, they would have said things which were quite profound. I will, again, commit my life to you. Words which are profound at an important stage of our life. That may be the day when our children come into our life, when we give birth to our children. They come in there like, wow, this is a life-changing moment. There are moments in our life which are quite profound, but there is one which is more profound than all the others. And the most profound day of your life is the last day of your life. Because the last day of your life is your final words. And the final words in which you speak in this life are words which are in some ways a summation or the sum total of what you have believed. Either your purpose and focus, your passion, your love, or your fears. And every single one of us, as we travel through the course of life, enjoying those wonderful moments of of coming into the world, of moments which we remember fondly, and marriage and childbirth and significant moments, profound statements have followed, but the most profound statement will be your final words which you ever speak in this life. The words in which you speak will be a sum total of what you have believed and built your life upon. Some great words by some interesting people over the years. Winston Churchill said this, his final words after a man who led a nation through a time of conflict and disunity and brought the nation back as one to fight the opposition during World War II. His final words were simply this, concerning politics. It was his love, his passion. I'm bored with it all now. That was his sum total. His life, like, had no mention of wife, it had no mention of children, had no mention of family, but it was all about where his purpose and focus was about. And it was the political position to hold a nation strong in a time when war had broken out. What about Leonardo da Vinci? I love Leonardo da Vinci, incredible man and fascinating, one of the most brilliant minds, incredible artist. He said this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I guess the Mona Lisa isn't good enough. These final words, his passion consumed him. His life was in those final moments and he spoke of something that consumed him and that was the passion for art. He was brilliant in many other areas, but his love for art. The Mona Lisa, the most recognized piece of art on the planet today. And he's saying, because it consumed him, the passion, it wasn't good enough. What about John Wayne? Good old John the gun-slinging good guy who cleaned up the bad guys. What was his final words? Was it about his movie career and the number of incredible Oscars that he had won and all of these things? Nope. It went simply like this. You're my girl and I love you, referring to his wife. Unfortunately, his third wife, but his wife at the time. Because even though he had a, an incredible career in movies and Hollywood the last part or the thing that it dominated was that he loved and appreciated. In those final days, it became the area of his life. It consumed him a love in life, which was his wife. And then there are fears. Some of the most well-known and respected men in the course of history 
communicated on their final breath, not necessarily about what they stood for, but in a moment of personal challenge about what would take place after death. There was a gentleman by the name of Thomas Paine. He was a leading revolutionary. He was a deist. Deism is something that believed going back into the Middle Ages, the 15th, 16th, 17th century. There was no such thing as an atheist, by the way, in those days. They didn't exist because you would basically be burned at the stake. Everyone believed in God, irrespective of what manner. But deism was that we believe in God, but God created and stepped away from his creation. He wasn't really interested. He just created and left it. Thomas Paine, credible man, brilliant mind, brilliant mind. He was involved in the American Revolution, separating itself from England and England's dominance over the Americas. He wrote a book called The Age of Reason. Incredible. He wrote many books, but this was one of his most significant books, talking about the age of reason is about life is more about reason than it is about God, because God's not interested in us. Well-respected, well-read, influenced literally hundreds of thousands of people by his writings. His final words were simply this. Stay with me, for God's sake, I cannot bear to be left alone. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God. What have I done to suffer so much? He pushed God away, yet in his final moments, he wants God to come close to him. Fascinating. Oh God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I would give worlds if I had them, that the age of reason had never been published. Oh Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave. Stay with me. Please stay a little longer. Send even a child to stay with me. For I am on the edge of hell here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. I wish I had never, ever written the age of reason. A man committed his whole life, yet in his final moments, he then goes back and reassesses things because of the unknown. Final words. What about Voltaire? Everyone knows of Voltaire, incredible man. Interesting writings. There are different views and thoughts concerning this. He was a, again, a deist. He pushed the boundaries of atheism. He said this on his final days. He said, I'm abandoned by God and man, yet he rejected God. Now he wants God to be in his final statements. Fascinating. I've been abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth, speaking to his doctor, if you are able to give me six months more of life. And the doctor said, I can do no more. He said, well, then I shall die and go to hell. The nurse in which looked after Voltaire in those final hours of his life in a semi-conscious state said that all night he cried out, crying out, oh, Christ, forgive me. Oh, Christ, forgive me. Forgive me. Pushing God so far. Yet in his final moments, asking for Christ to come to be so close. You see, every single one of us in life can push God away, yet the uniqueness of our makeup and design still cries out, irrespective of our position or belief. Our makeup still cries out that there is a God, and yet one day we must must meet him and have that encounter. Our final words in life are some of the most powerful words in which we'll speak. 
Again, you know, we gather here on a Sunday morning in many places around the world. We gather on the basis that we have a belief. We stand, we sit, we gather, we worship, we give, we are in one place at one time. Why? Because we are here, not because we have pushed God away, but because we have asked Christ to come close. We gather, and why we gather here today is because of what that person, and that person being Jesus Christ Christ himself, saying words in which spoke to us. For three years, he communicated to the smaller groups, the larger groups, speaking of who he was and the relationship in which man had with God and ultimately why he had come. And that was to give his life so that we would have life. Some of the most profound words are the words which are finally spoken. Some of the most profound words in which Jesus ever spoke were his final words. To realize this and to put things in perspective, because sometimes we lose perspective, is that so often we lose sight of what took place in Jesus' life. Well, Jesus died on the cross and he gave me life. Sounds very, that's a romanticized approach and the terminology and the words in which we use, it sounds like, well, Jesus died for me. They're words in which we have lost the importance and the value of what he has done for us. His final words are the most powerful words on the planet today, yet they still resonate down through the corridors of history, speaking to every person that has ever lived. His words are amazing, but to understand at 3 a.m. in the morning, he was arrested. And for three hours, from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning, he was put on trial. He was accused. He was falsely accused. Those that came and blatantly lied against him. Yet he stood there for three hours listening to their words and accusation. People who said, I'd never leave you. I'll I'll never leave you, Lord. I will stand with you. Everyone else may leave you, but I never will. Now deserted him. Yet he stayed true to why he had come and the reason why he had stood his ground, listening to every accusation. He didn't try to defend himself. Why? Because he saw something greater than what was taking place at that moment. Then from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., he is brutalized and again beaten for three hours that again he was unrecognizable. We see so often upon many artistic expressions of Jesus on the cross and being brutalized and there he is, a romanticized approach of a crown of thorns and a few trickles of blood from his hands and feet. No, he didn't look anything like that. He was unrecognizable. His face was beaten to the point that you would not even recognize that it was the same man. His body, flesh was hanging from his body. Most people would not even want to look at crucifixion because it was so grotesque. And again, the Romans knew, and they knew the art of crucifixion, of how to brutalize and crucify people that would be a deterrent that no one would rebel against their rule. They knew the art of brutality, well beyond what we even imagine. And even today, sometimes we just still have that romanticized thought of what Jesus looked like upon the cross. But he had been, again, betrayed. He had been, again, all of his friends had left him and, and again, stepped away, even cursing him, left alone on a cross, brutalized and beaten, Sometimes we lose sight of what Jesus has done for us upon that cross. 
Why? Because on that cross, he looked down through the corridors of history and just didn't see the world. He saw every single one of us. He understood what relationship we had, whether it was a relationship at a distance or a relationship that was close by. He understood exactly where we're at. But all I'm trying to paint is this simple picture. Jesus' final words were some of the most profound, impacting words that have ever been said by any man. Here he is, brutalized. Again, unrecognizable. Again, we see this romanticized picture of Jesus upon the cross. Yet, it was nothing like that. He was on the main road artery going into the city. He was on full show. The Romans thought, we'll put all these people who have, again, rebelled against us and pushed against Roman rule, we will make a spectacle of them that we will not have problems. If you were thinking of having a rebellion, you would think twice if you walked by the road where crucifixion was carried out. Why? Wow, I don't want to look like that. Wow, I don't want to go through that. He went through a lot for every single one of us. Again, we have that romanticized approach of Jesus there with a loincloth. No, naked. The highest form of shame for any person to be crucified was to be naked upon that cross. Not with a loincloth. You see, our image of what Jesus looked like and what he went through is sometimes romanticized, where he gave so much for every single one of us. A man who has gone through so much. If I was upon the cross and my friends had denied me, walked away, stepped away. People had made accusations against me. I had been brutalized. Every cell, every nerve in my body crying out and screaming because of the pain in which I was feeling. If I was the Messiah, not a good choice, by the way, but if I was the Messiah, how would I approach it? Well, let's forget about Greg for a brief moment. Jesus upon the cross. The very first statement that he makes from the cross, profound statement, Life-changing statement is this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's how Jesus approached it. How did Greg French approach that situation? Father, wipe them out! Let's start again. Why? Because what you have done to me, and I remember every single one of you, and when I'm coming back, I'm coming to get you. That's the Greg French Messiah approach. Not a good Messiah, right? But Jesus upon that cross, people had denied him. People had rejected him. People had brutalized him. Yet he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He chose to step over their transgressions against him their words, their lies, everything. He chose to step over. And the only means in this life to step over challenges in which all of us will face is adopting the same words which were spoken from that cross, which is the first words, which is the beginning of all relationships in life, is that we release others and forgive them. Oh, I can't forgive so-and-so. They said something terrible against me. Hello! Forgiveness is cheap in our lips so, so often, where, again, if Christ, if we say, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, he has forgiven me, now I shall forgive others. Yet we find it so difficult to forgive. Why? Because we have not truly understood what he has done for us. He gave so much. The first words upon the cross and those words resonate in every single person 
again, that those words, they are forgiven. Not just for those who are present, but for all mankind. Those words are still offered to every single person that has breath and life, that has been, that is, and will be. The second thing that he says from the cross, most profound, I love this. He's on the cross, and there are two other criminals, one to the right and one to the left. And one cries out and said, if you are the Messiah, help yourself and help us. Get us down from here. And then the other one says, do you not fear God? This man is an innocent man. And then said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. What's that about? One of the most powerful statements by Jesus is this to us here this morning. Never, ever, ever, ever give up on people we are believing to come to know him. Why? Because it's never, ever, 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 ever too late to actually establish that relationship. I hear what you're saying, Pastor Greg, but you don't know my Uncle Bert. Oh, he was a piece of work, I tell you. He used to knock his wife around something terrible. Kids hated him. I remember going seeing him just before he died. Just a couple of weeks before, man, he was swearing and cursing. He was off the planet. He's a hopeless drunk and he was terrible, terrible man. Terrible. Yeah, I prayed for him a bit, but oh man, he's gone to hell for sure. How do you know? How do you know? While there is breath, there is life. While there is life, there is hope. What that says to me, the most profound words stated and spoken, is that why we sit here today is because we have felt the power of forgiveness. We have embraced forgiveness and not to lose sight of how Jesus chose to look over offense, challenges, and forgive those. Yet we have difficulty trying to do that ourselves. We must. It is why he has done his most profound statements starts in forgiveness. It walks through the next stage like while there is breath, there is hope. Who knows on the lips of somebody? Who knows with Voltaire? His final words, forgive me, Jesus said. If you ask for forgiveness, now you are forgiven. Every single person, by the utterance of simple words, Jesus, forgive me, accept me, ask me into your life. Most powerful words, but they are the most rewarding, life-filling, and also energizing words on the planet today. And that are words of forgiveness. The next simple understanding is upon the cross, forgiveness is offered. The next thing is while there is life, never give up. Keep believing as a Christian. Keep believing irrespective of what you may think concerning another person. They never could. They never will. How do you know God could step in and actually do a miracle in that moment? I thank the Lord that my sister never gave up on me and kept praying, irrespective of what my lifestyle looked like at the time. The third thing in which he says from the cross, which I love, in the middle of this saving the sins of the world, the next thing he does is simply say, hey, John, here's your here's mom, mom. Here's John. Look after each other. John, look after mum. Mum, John will assist you. You see, I love this. And while Jesus is saving the world, he's still interested in what's a high priority, which is family. A high priority. He is still reaching out, trying, touching the lives of those that he loves. In the big picture, he's still concerned about the small picture. And that is about relationship. The fourth thing he says from the cross, powerful words from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's that all about? That's a bit confusing. No, it's not. 
Interesting to note, the first statement of forgiveness is, starts with Father, forgive them. The closing statement is Father. Smack in the middle, my God, my God. What's that in reference to? Very quickly, simply, he's identifying himself as, again, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I am right now, my God. Why have you forsaken me? No. He's simply saying, not forsaken. I am feeling the power of what sin does. Jesus took on the sin of the world. What is sin? Sin creates separation. Sin is not a boogeyman in a dark room. Sin, basically the power of sin, creates separation, isolation, and aloneness. What Jesus is saying, I'm feeling what sin can do in people's lives. Ultimately, with God, with family, with marriage, with life, with community, separation. The power, he said, I feel the power of what sin's about. And it's simply saying in that relationship that God has never, ever moved away, even though he felt the power of sin, yet his life upon that cross gave him the power to step over and to remove the power of sin, which is separation. The next thing he says from the cross, which is, again, profound, but I thirst. What is that about? Simply, I understand what you're going through. The natural needs and challenges of life, I understand exactly where you're at. Profound words, simple words, but profound words. He's saying that I understand what you're going through. I understand your thirst, your hungers, those challenges which you have in your life. I understand. The next thing he says from the cross, it is finished. I always thought that was the final word, yet it is not. It is finished. What's that about? All the Pharisees or the Roman rulers, the, all of the people present, ah, We've won. What is Jesus saying? It is finished. He's saying this. Can I put a different spin on it for you? Profound statement. It is finished on what basis? It is finished because I choose when I depart. I'm still in control. Did you get that? When Jesus said it's finished, they are one. No, 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 no. I choose when my life shall come to a close. I choose when my life shall be resurrected. What does that give to you? An incredible confidence in this. God is in control. Even though your world may appear to be out of control, he's still in control. That is your life. Another profound word from the cross. The final word from the cross. I love this. His final words. It starts with Father. It concludes with Father. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It starts in forgiveness. It closes with trust. It starts with the ability God gave to us to forgive, that we may feel forgiveness, have a relationship, not separation, and now have the power to release others. But it concludes with trust. And whose responsibility is that? Us. Trust. Father, into your hands, I trust you with this situation, with this circumstance. You see, it's not all God's responsibility. It's also our responsibility and our action to respond to everything that he has done for us. He can do no more. His hands are tied. Why? Because he's given us Jesus. He didn't give us just a person who died on the cross. 
he gave us himself, the Son of God, the supreme sacrifice to overlook a multitude of sins, of transgressions, but also to position himself in life to offer the greatest gift to every single person. And that is basically forgiveness and relationship with Jesus. Volatile today may be in heaven saying, thank you, Lord. Thomas Paine may be there. Who knows? I do not know. But God does. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.